Welcome to EPM Conversations. My name is Cameron Lackler. I'm your host, and I have with me today a guest host, Natalie Delamar, and our very special guest, Elizabeth Farrell. Thank you. So um, today, in in this episode, this recording, we we are going with our um, guest host method that we've done in the past. Uh, Mike Nader was the the last guest, the last episode um, that used this format. Um, with that, Natalie and I will be bouncing back and forth as we pepper poor Elizabeth with questions and follow-ups, but this is all a friendly conversation. So with that, um, Elizabeth, uh, who are you? How, how do Natalie and I, we, we do all know each other. How is that? Um, and how, how do we know you? Uh, I think I met you at my first K-scope over a decade ago. <laughs> Should I say that long? Awesome. Uh, so I've heard your names before I went there. I It's hard to not rattle around the EPM community that's been called other things over the years um, and not have heard your names in presentations and and uh, followed, but I started at Kroger a, a few years before that, and um, this was a conference that that we that that the community at Kroger values. So I was I wanted to join the conference. Um, I saw I saw you guys saw presentations by I think by Cameron. Um, and I think I ran into Natalie. Maybe were you guys at the Hyperion SIG? We were both in the Hyperion SIG. Yes, oh. both of us were. <laughs> we're we're dating not. ourselves. <laughs> so uh, that I think that's how we met. And um, and I thought I think I walked up and wanted to thank you for some presentation, and you actually started a conversation with me. Um, so I think the fact that that the leaders in this community are very approachable means quite a bit to me. Made me feel very welcome. Oh. oh, I remember meeting you and you were just so um, bubbly and warm <laughs> and excited and passionate, which I love about the technology because I'm also very passionate about EPM. But there's also something else you're passionate about besides Oracle EPM. You were very passionate about Dodeca. <laughs> so do you want to talk a little bit about um, Dodeca and the relationship with Oracle EPM and K-Scope and what, how that brought you to K-Scope? I should talk about um, when I joined Kroger, I was a planning specialist. Um, with HFM and S-Base and planning. And they, when they interviewed me, they showed me the product called Dodeca and I'm like, okay, but when I come in here, I'll show them planning and we'll replace it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's okay. There, I will, I'll look and see what it is, but we're going to put planning in. That was my, that was my, my roadmap 
uh, for they were talking about upgrading S space and um, moving them on to AIX and all of these things that were going to be my job when uh, if I got the job and what what my first the first things I needed to do. And I'm like, and what you don't know is that you're about to buy planning. <laughs> so, uh, but when I started there, uh, what I realized is the flexibility that I got around um, Dodeca for how massive Kroger was. I wasn't really prepared for the 2,000 cubes and we don't have 2,000 anymore. Yeah, I just we, want our, our listeners yes. to, to, to hear what she just said. 2,000 S-space cubes. Yes, it's not that bad anymore. I've uh, we're down <laughs> to we we have gone through a huge transformation and they are bigger. Uh, but since we're all on the same chart of accounts now, um, we're we're down to like three fifty. <laughs> so yes, there's still a lot of cubes. Re- really, though, you know, when you think about it, the the big ones that people are using day in day out, there's there's like thirty eight or so. The rest of them are supporting that. But anyway, so trying to understand how to how to put that in a in a planning environment. Um, I, I had I worked on it for a whole year. And in that year, I learned the depths of Dodeca. So yeah, I do a lot of presentations around S base with Dodeca and um, and SQL backend and DB2 and all of the other things that are just everyone else has to deal with around everything floating around EPM and how to integrate them into your reporting. And now we're looking at Power BI integration with S-Base awesome. in addition to um, Dodeca. Could, could you describe Dodeca from a, a customer's perspective for, for the audience in case they don't know what the product is? I think everyone in the Oracle performance management space will at least be familiar with it, but we have we have listeners from all over nowadays. So, um, and even, even then, even in the Oracle space, not everyone's going to know it. How, how would you describe it? When I'm talking to leadership and I'm trying to simplify it, I always, I always tell them it's, um, it's like a GUI interface for Excel. <laughs> so it lets you, it lets you write back to an S-space cube um, and then perform uh, on event tasks. So when someone clicks, um, changes a number in a cell that looks like a smart view screen, um, it, that click can then say, write back to an S-based cube, write back to a SQL, write back to both at the same time. Um, and then it's a series of events can be programmed into it. So it can say, now run this calc script and run this calc script only if this set of criteria is met. So what it lets us do is create uh, budgeting and forecasting and interactive what-if scenario type reporting. It also holds all our canned reports because we want to do everything in one place. It can it can also uh, give you links to portals. So it's, it's a lot like um, workspace where you could just put a bunch of different links in there to different items that are all related to each other. Uh, but think about it as an interactive report. You can drill into another report um, and you can um, do some visualizations, anything you can do in Excel. So not, not the visualizations you would do with like a Tableau or Power BI, but, but it does 
heat mapping and graphs and and things like that. So it looks like a report and it looks like Excel and it's easy to teach people. How, how would you how would you compare it to planning to Oracle's planning product? I mean, what, what differentiates it? Um, from planning? Yeah, I mean, especially since you went into your employer thinking I'm putting in planning and then a year later, you know, had your road, on, road to Damascus moment and changed your mind. Uh, and it depends on your use case, right? So I do have um, EPBCS. I have um, Oracle fixed assets and projects and cloud. So I have those planning applications. We do have those. Um, those are a smaller footprint and they are for a, a, a certain, for a strict use case. What, what Dodeca excels at other than putting our thousands of reports in one place. So um, picture your FRS repository, but those exact same reports, um, now you can write back to them. So what Dodeca lets you do, just like planning does, it lets me write back to cubes that I've created that have dimensions, more dimensions than would be delivered with a planning application. So I can customize my dimensions. I can, um, I'm not, I'm not limited by that, by the, uh, a, a, a pre, predefined scope. I feel like planning is awesome when you have this predefined use case and you want the functional group to manage it. So you can put a planning implementation in and have, have uh, one of your financial analysts or your accountants manage most of it. Even there's a lot of technical pieces that you're going to want the technology folks, but they hopefully don't have to interact with it more than a couple of times a month, right? It can live on its own. Um, some of our space cubes are massively coordinating um, so many parts of our business that they would they would take a they would take more planning applications than I wanted than I wanted to be able to build. So I'm able to do it all in space, and it gives me a clean interface to do it in space. And I'm using space for so many other things. It was really an economy of scale for us. So you were doing. You came into Kroger, which is where you work. You saw that there was an existing Dodeca footprint, whatever, presumably a lot smaller than it is today, or was a lot smaller than it is today. Yes. You heard about K-Scope. It was, I think, K-Scope by then, if you met us 10-ish years ago. So maybe 2011 or 2012 or something like that. And and that was it. That was was the hook to go to Odie Tug's K-Scope. Gotcha. Yeah, so I'm just going to pause here for a second and and promise I don't work. I, I'm not a paid um, advertiser for Dodeca, but Dodeca is a, a software put out by a company called Applied Olap, um, which was created and is currently run by a good friend of me and Cameron's and Elizabeth's called Tim Toe. He's a fantastic S-based developer. He actually started as a CPA and then went into coding and built this amazing software that a lot of clients are passionate about that works really, really well with S-Base. And from what I hear from clients about Dodeca is that it, um, the flexibility it allows um, without the constraints of some of the other prepackaged software just drives a lot of efficiency in their, in their reporting processes and, and being able to 
um, interact with the S-Base Cube. Now, Elizabeth, you guys, don't you, don't you guys deploy S-Base to like all your stores? Is that true? <laughs> yes, through Dodeca, yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, we have uh, over, well, over 33,000 users of, of, of S-Base, which in their, they're mostly accessing it through Dodeca. I would say, um, I didn't know that there was a limit to the security file in S-Base <laughs> until, until we got to that 33,000 limit. So <laughs> there is actually a limit. And now with the new 21C, I will not have that limit anymore. So I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited to not have that lock the security file any longer. But yes, our stores are are using it to look at their daily sales reports and their um, their period uh, their period reports and their uh, um, what's called Elm staters. So their um, their uh, employee labor management data. So a lot of the store management reports are deployed through Dodeca. There's, it's one piece in a huge suite of store reporting though. Mm -hmm. uh, I, mean, I even have like printed um, a huddle. <laughs> I, I have one with me on my desk right now. I was looking at what the store management is actually looking at, making sure I'm still in, in touch with what the stores are doing. But so many moons ago, back when I was a S-Base developer for Bell South Cellular, um, we deployed S-Base, but it was just using the Excel add-in with some VBA on top because, you know, we weren't what, as sophisticated what we as had. what Kroger was doing. But it was actually deployed to all the um, Bell South Cellular store who deployed S-Base. So I actually went into my local um, Bell South Cellular store, introduced myself, and I actually saw how the store manager was leveraging, you know, the technology I was supporting. And it was just so cool. I was just wondering if, have you ever done that and go, gone into your Kroger store and told them who you are and, and asked them about how they're leveraging the software? If not, I would really encourage you to do it. It's, it's really I, I have, um, I, we have a, we have a thing where you can volunteer mm -hmm. stores that are, especially right now, stores are um, uh, struggling to, um, fully staff the stores and um, and give people vacations and things like that. So I did sign up to volunteer and uh, I am a trained cashier and I <laughs> I go several times a month and I I can be your local cashier. Um, they I do work with uh, a local store leader who's now become my friend. She she's she's a lovely woman and. Uh, and I asked her to show me how she uses Dodeca and what she uses it for. And um, and I did find out we have some holes in our training because I was showing her, I'm like, mm. but if you double click, you can drill through to the journal entry detail okay. and find out all. And she's like, I didn't know that. <laughs> mm. I need to help you with that. So I, I do need to publish some better training, but we're working on that. So I'm going to take okay. a step back a little bit. Um, and I'd love for you to give us some insight in how you ended up in the position you are today. What, what did you study in college and your, what is your history of how you went from college and what you were studying there to where you are today? It's actually a good question. I, I do 
I do cherish the path I took. It wasn't direct. I don't think any of us probably had a direct path. Nope, not EPMers. We're, we're weirdos. <laughs> we never have a direct path. No, I I adore what we do, but I would have never, if you would ask me in, in high school, I'd been like, I, yeah, it would not. Okay. I thought I, I've always loved airplanes. So I thought I would be something technical, like, uh, um, I guess I tested hyper architecture and I, and engineering. So I did, um, I, I looked at a, uh, I looked at engineering and I, I actually did start engineering. I did, um, I got, I almost went to an, to, uh, one of the, to the, uh, uh, army military Academy. So West point and, uh, but I ended up, I, yes, I ended up at a, uh, in an engineering program for aerospace and mechanical engineering, um, uh, double major in physics. And that's what I was going to be. <laughs> and um, my roommate uh, was an accountant. And I, uh, I was really enjoyed my schoolwork and everything, but it was uh, very early nineties and aerospace engineering programs, um, were not, not really hiring folks. I was, I was, I was working for U university of Dayton research Institute on a contract with NASA. And I really enjoyed the Fortran work. I did. <laughs> Has anyone heard of that? I, um, the first computer language was Fortran. <laughs> yep. So if you've heard of Fortran, um, I, uh, and they just were not, they weren't, they were telling me that there weren't a lot of jobs and, um, and my roommate got a job right away in accounting. And uh, so I switched, I switched to accounting and I found that while I was a, a good engineer um, and I was actually a really good accountant, <laughs> cost accounting, all that stuff uh, that came kind of, kind of easy, but um, there was, there was a lot of stuff. We, I had a computer. Not everybody in college had a computer at that time. I had one. I uh, and I used it and I enjoyed it. So when I then got a job at an accounting firm at a school, um, it wasn't too long before uh, they were doing Y two K projects, and they're like, "Well, Elizabeth knows computers. <laughs> <laughs> accounting partners are um, they're they're." not as technical as, as they could be. So I started looking at accounting uh, information systems and, uh, and looking at implementing them in, in small places like, uh, like, um, uh, the Miami County juvenile court They but we implemented small, there's one called math 90. There were accounting systems that were DOS based. So that's why I started, uh, and I kind of bounced around uh, consulting firms then doing uh, accounting system implementations until I landed uh, on one that had Hyperion. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was back when it was really Hyperion. And um, I worked through that one and then uh, got good at uh, writing FRS reports and did another implementation of, uh, of, um, enterprise. So back the predecessor the precursor to, to HFM and FCC. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. So enterprise. Uh, then I, I did a little, I did a two year stint being an SEC accountant um, because they actually had uh, PeopleSoft with SBase. So then mm-hmm. I started learning all the tree structures and, and, and when it was leaves and when <laughs> we called it leaves and trees. Uh, and um, I just fell in love with enabling enabling the whole accounting process. I feel like there's an elegance to um, to structuring something so well with the hierarchies in particular and running the calculations that everybody else's work is faster. They could spend, you know, five hours working in their, their spreadsheets and I could automate all that and make it more precise and repeatable every time. So people could spend their time actually analyzing data. And I felt pride every single time I built one. So I was really happy. And I just thought I would go around implementing systems because I liked implement, I liked, you know, that that rush of of a job well done and giving somebody something really pretty and tying a bow on it and leaving. And uh until I I I met um I met a gentleman at Kroger and we had been talking and he said, you know, I don't have, I don't have something um, that's a good fit for you right now, but, but we should stay in touch. <laughs> and then sooner or later, he, uh, about two years later, he called me and said he was taking a, uh, a controller, a controllership at Kroger. And he asked if I would come and take his role managing the systems. And I said, yes. Did you, did you ever <laughs> owned a system before? Had you ever been the manager of a system before or had you always been on the consulting side you sound like you've kind of bounced back and forth i i felt like i um i would come in for a year or two kind of as a consultant but that would be the administrator so i i'd either have um like like one was an as 400 um administrator as well as then owning the hfm and planning database on top of it Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done that. I did that at two different companies while they were going restructuring. And I also had a JD Edwards um, implementation, but I would start as a contractor and then they would, um, they would hire me. They would hire me full time, but I would just, I think I always thought um, I wanted to do maybe a little more than be the, the system administrator. I wanted to design and build new stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, then they would want you to manage more people and um, move to the accounting side. Like the path forward was always uh, was always through accounting, um, not build new cool tools. Whereas Kroger lets me build new cool tools <laughs> all the time. <laughs> They're just very big. Anyway, so then I started at Kroger as their uh, as managing their S-base team is what they called it, the S-base manager, and it was just financials and um, budget in the the beginnings of of a high level forecast on four or five lines. They had they obviously had a big forecasting and budgeting footprint. It's it was just um, it was just manual, so. They had a, uh, they've always, 
but that's every company's, uh, I think, evolution through that. They store the data automatically. They upload it places, but the process itself was keying it into a spreadsheet. And, and, and then someone would digest that data and load it into a system so that it could be proliferated. And that's not a process that's reporting. <laughs> so right. yeah, there's a, there's a, a difference between, um, between actually making an elegant process and, and reporting it. But I, cause sometimes some, we've ever seen those where people ask you like what you do in boil it down to like one sentence. And I'm like, I think what I do is I make the right numbers show up in the box. <laughs> <laughs> like the number 42 or 155.1, just numbers, numbers. I really do. Like I make that number show up in that box. Now, sometimes that box box is on a screen behind a CEO on Bloomberg TV. <laughs> And sometimes that box is on a report in Dodeca. <laughs> but I make that number show up there. So S-Base is your single source of truth for financials? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, there's so many pieces strung together because we have the GL, but um, and the, that's a, that is the last year I spent putting you know, working on getting our GL into Oracle Cloud. Um, and that's still an S-based cube, in my opinion. But uh, then in order to get it to the consolidated level in FCCS, we have, um, we have, uh, we still have the entire footprint is repeated in S-based so that we can do all of our reporting. And management reporting as opposed to your statutory or regulatory reporting. Yes. Yeah which mostly what people pay attention to. <laughs> how, how did you go, how did Kroger first end up with 2000 odd S-based models? And then how did you and your team whittle it down to 350? I mean, how did you get, I'm going to say the word bad. It had to have been a nightmare to administer um, just yeah. to track of. How did it get that big? And how did I got you fix it? And when I got there, there were no automated dim builds. <laughs> Just type it in by hand. It's job security. If you never automate anything, oh you're going to have to keep. That's why I tell my team, I'm like, code your way out of a corner, man. I will give you a new job if you get rid of yours. I will, give you <laughs> one. I will always give you another job if you make yours Wait. obsolete. <laughs> I had some people who are like, what do I do if I'm not updating dimensions all day? I, I, trust me, I will find something. <laughs> but no, what did we have with 2000 cubes? That's a good question. So before, before this, this last, you know, two or I guess it's two and a half year journey of the Oracle cloud, we, all of our companies were not on a single chart of accounts. Mm -hmm. So, um, what what you see with those 2000 cubes are uh, different financial universes, which were like logistics and manufacturing and Kroger personal finance and retail grocery. Uh, it, you you drill into each one of those and they each have. Um, so if you think of a normal set of accounts, you have a balance sheet that's usually the one or 2000 range and then 
um, the income and expenses. And then you also have like administrative costs and things like that. Well, every single one of those had its own cube. And in order to give everybody a full set of financial pages, which all of the all of the chart of accounts were kind of broken into 12 sets. So if you think of the, the balance sheet as one set and an income statement, a detailed income statement, and uh, a uh, um, administrative costs, um, um, uh, other income and expenses, all of those were separate cubes because they had their own chart. And <laughs> so each business unit had needed 12 cubes. And if you think about each business unit, and then they all had different departments rolled, so they would roll their departments up differently. They would re- they would report um, some of their management reporting was all different. And if you if you listen to some of the work that that Gary Creasy did uh, for GE on consolidating all of all of those his charts of accounts, it was it was a similar exercise. It was monumental. Fifty years of um, of of account just not 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 just making a new account every time you needed to make have more business clarity so you end up with over 50,000 accounts and when you start to look at at um the the cost center concept um it just created lots and lots of cubes <laughs> so and then then you also over time you have uh, historical cubes or archive cubes. So I we only actively loaded a thousand of those. So half of them were archive historical cubes. Um, if you're a retailer, you want to look at um, the last time that that the Super Bowl fell on on a certain weekend, and that's probably five years ago. So you want to look at what the sales trends looked like by day five years ago. Um, Thanksgiving moves around. Easter changes periods for us. So if Easter is in one period versus another period, how do you change your buying and and forecasting and things like that? So I needed to keep lots of history for all of those things. So a lot of those archive cubes did that for us. So getting it down to a number of cubes was a big, the heavy lift was changing a chart of accounts to having um, nine segments. So now we have cost centers and we didn't have cost centers before. We had departments, but we used departments for everything. If you remember the old enterprise days where we nested um, dimensions inside of all the other dimensions. <laughs> so, irrelevant, irrelevant hierarchies are. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And now we're pushing a lot of that, um, a lot of those alternate hierarchies and what we call wireframes, which are reporting hierarchies. Um, into EDM so that I have one place I can control all those hierarchies. And whenever you want to change an allocation, um, you go into EDM and you manage the allocation hierarchy. And then you can write your calc scripts off of those. Like just trying to build this elegance and, and interconnectedness and um, using the tools that we have available to us um, gives me a lot of pride of ownership, I'd say. So let's talk about the footprint. So you have obviously 350 S-based cubes. You have Dodeca. It sounds like you have planning. I just heard you mention EDM. Do you have FCC or HFM? Uh, We have FCCS. So we bought 29 cloud products. We haven't put them all in, but I spent the last two years moving moving all of those to the cloud. Um, And... uh, 
that was that was a progression of my jobs too, right? So I was S-based manager. Then, um, then it became the budget and forecasting systems, and then all of the reporting. They they had a big thing to move away from paper, so we moved all the reporting onto S-based and Dodeca, and uh, so then I got the promotion over that, and um, and then they asked me if I wanted to implement Oracle GL and that I was, I'm like, I'm like, nope, I'm the reporting person. I want to be SA. <laughs> I want to be SA. So no, thank you. That's okay. And then, then they're more like, you're going to implement Oracle GL. <laughs> In the cloud. So this was the yes. cloud. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So then I went on special assignment and I went to a case scope where I told everybody I got fired. <laughs> I was so upset that year. I'm like, they don't, they're going to do a job I don't know how to do. Anyway, so I spent two years doing that. And then um, then they offered me the role to manage the um, the whole Oracle um, piece Sweet. on finance. So that's where I am today. And I thank my technical background, but I think uh, people that like accounting and like finance and but are really good at problem solving, creative problem solving and like technology and enablement for others. I always say you're the one who makes the other accounts look good, you know? So so now that you are owner of all of Oracle, I heard you mention Power BI at the beginning of our conversation. Do you own OAC? And what is your strategy as um, analytic platforms become much more sophisticated to offer things like really cool visualizations and predictive analytics. Where, where are you guys going in lieu of all this new capabilities um, that a lot of users or, or a lot of companies are deploying to finance? That's a really good question. And I think we, I'm not sure we've answered it all the way yet. Um, we are looking at, at o, we're looking at um, the, the OCI. And I, I mean, I had a meeting today. <laughs> So we're looking at where we're going to deploy 21C, right? So is it go in the cloud? Is it on-prem? Uh, we're also looking at um, Azure. So if we look at, at at 21C in an Azure cloud, so I've got a bunch of other analytics in in Azure. So I'm not sure um, I'm not sure where the best place to deploy 21C will be, but mm-hmm. um, we absolutely need to do visualizations. I think we need to do um, we need to do mobile visualizations. So we need to enable the decision makers with timely, granular uh, data, and they need to be in the store. <laughs> you know, sitting. I think the days of sitting behind your desk are, are are coming to an end for the for the folks that need to be seeing it. Um, so Power BI, we are testing it against S-Space. Um, we're also looking at, at the Oracle offerings in the same space. But more and more what I'm seeing with uh, Dodeca is that I'm having to connect um, half, of, half of the report to the financials, but then nothing, everything else that you need to make a dis- decision against, I call it the versus data, right? So how do you know your sales were good? Well, it's versus actuals, versus forecast, versus budget. And they're versus financial lines. If you didn't make a profit, but your sales are up, did you make a good decision? 
right? So all of those items need to be against all the metrics that we're getting out of the stores. And we are, um, I think we passed the, we're the biggest internet of things company in the world right now. And that's partly because we have temperature sensors in every single freezer and refrigerator. Uh, I mean, besides wanting to serve our customers, we really want to make sure we're not, um, causing any health issues, right? So this is their people's food. <laughs> so we're all of that data, I think they wanna see that, see that data is all being stored in um, in Azure. So I, I either have to repeat my data over there and sit Dodeca on top of it and create all the analytics um, and Power BI is doing the same, right? We're doing the same thing with Power BI. Uh, or I need to um, move a piece of it into um, uh, OCI. So we're still evaluating how that works, but as it is, everybody's always trying to figure out how to get how to get data everywhere. I will have to repeat it somewhere, you know. Yeah. At what level? At what level do I repeat it? And I want. I'm. I always talk about curated data sets. So I'm in the business of publishing curated data sets that everyone can depend is right every time and um, that they're at the granularity that they can do to make a decision. And um, and if that has to be in several different places, so be it. <laughs> but those data sets should be uh, software agnostic. You should be able to stick anything you want on top of it right. and still be the right data. And we'll see what that tool ends up being Let's talk a little bit about um, K-Scope. Let's talk about user conferences. User conferences have had a, a tough time the last two years, right? I mean, we're in, for, for people who listen to this, this episode, presumably years from 2022, we're in the middle of the plague still, right? The almost end of the world is upon us, hopefully going away. So none of us have been to a user's conference in the last two years, right? Um, Natalie, we were going to co-present, I think, in 2022. I actually found that blog post that said you and I were going to do that. And then it didn't happen, right? The conference was, was canceled and it went virtual. Elizabeth, you, you've been at K-Scope and I, I assume other conferences as well since around 2010 or 2011. What did you miss? What, what, what hasn't been part of your professional and, and personal life as well? because you haven't been able to go to a conference? That's a good question. I, I will say I've been using the excuse that I was on the implementation and I couldn't have gone anyway. But I will say I feel really out of touch with, um, with the, the, like, the capabilities of 21C. I, I feel out of touch. I didn't, until I was on a call with Oracle asking, asking questions, not everybody gets to do that, right? Um, but, yeah, but when you have 2,000 cubes or 350 cubes, you get a, <laughs> you get a, do you have a direct line? Cause I, when we were talking, when I spoke <laughs> to um, Gary Christie at GE, I'm like, cause I know their footprint Oracle is oh, yeah. huge, right? I'm like, do you have like a personal phone that's a direct line of product development? And like, does it like when GE calls, is, that, is there like a red, flashing that happens because <laughs> I would think that's what you have too at Kroger with the footprint you guys have with Oracle products 
Um, we didn't until this implementation, and I, I will say they do, yes, they do pick up the phone. Um, and um, I will say, I, and I've had some SRs that got everybody moving. Um, I will say I've got some SRs that are just sitting out there for months and months. <laughs> I'm also like everybody else, if it's yeah, not that critical. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I've got some of those, but uh, we did we did get some personal attention. Um, and I think it's because we trusted them that we knew uh, we were about to put something bigger on there, bigger than anyone else had tried to put in the cloud. And they were like, if you trust us, we will we'll develop the solution along with you. And we hit some buffers that they say, there were a few of them, some timeout things that that they're like, that takes people months to hit and you hit it in the first 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and the first one was how many journal entries could post at the same time. So like, okay, yeah, we're running, we're running over a million journal entries a period. So our, you know, the system, but it's doing it. It is, it is doing it. Uh, but yes, we do get them to answer the phone. <laughs> so that, I guess that for you, that helps that, I mean, even though you rely on K-Scope in the conferences for information, because you guys are large, a large company, you, you guys have more access to Oracle. And I think a lot of the people who attend K-Scope doesn't, don't have the access that you do. And so they rely on the conference for that information and that touch point with product development and product management to understand right. the software. I agree, but I think there's there's a piece of it. So that's the, you know, the Sunday symposiums and that's really fun. And then the last day they they come and really talk to you about the new stuff. And and those are so those are exciting. It's it's yeah. not it's not as fun to not sit there with, with like you sit there with you and and be like, oh my God, that's cool. I can see using that, you know, because we kind of yeah. get excited about stuff. Um but the biggest piece is um, is that the little one-off presentations of I solved this unique data set. So I don't know how many times I, I, I told you I don't run an actual planning um, um, uh, planning product, but I go to all the planning presentations or I go to as many as I can. And I go to look at how they solved a unique business problem um, and how can I solve it? I don't have to solve it with their same product. They're not selling me planning. They're selling me, I can solve that in S-Base or I could solve it in FCCS, but they're solving a problem I have, whether it's identical or not, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, how to obscure uh, some of the data. I, I remember this one was four seasons, I think. Um, and and I thought it was so clever the way they were, um, they actually stored like Excel formulas in the database, in a SQL database on the back end that they could pop in uh, whenever certain selection criteria was done. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Like mm-hmm. I could see maybe figuring out how to automate some of my calc scripting from some sort of data storage like that, that could store variables instead of just numbers, like just expanding your mind by using somebody else's problem 
and thinking about how that could apply to yours is exciting. And then watching, you know, that, that they accomplished this thing and you can celebrate that with your friends, but it's, it's just exciting to watch um, the best and the brightest is what I feel like solving really fun problems. I mean, I feel like we, we solve puzzles all day and we're paid to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. It's fun when it works. Uh, I, I know there's days you bang your head against the wall. There really are. But that day you have the breakthrough that you, that, that four hour couch script brand in 20 seconds. <laughs> right. Awesome. And then, you know, you try to tell your spouse or your family or your best friend. And they're like, what are, what are you talking about? Who gives a shit? Right. Excuse my language. Yes. Oh, no. People who understand. Exactly. You go to K-Scope and you're like, people are geeking out with you and they completely understand why you are so happy and excited. <laughs> about this thing that you wrote and were able to accomplish. <laughs> so there's other nerds like us. You find your, your it's like your tribe, right? We find, we find and we see our tribe when we go to Casco. It is our tribe. That's what it is. <laughs> and they don't think you're nerdy. <laughs> right. Like, the only place so where cool. the nerdiest of all are the coolest of all. Yes, it's that's true. That's Okay. But that's what I like. That's what I miss about the conference. I do feel like I get to, I have access to Oracle, but I don't have access to these super clever ideas that are are floating around out there. Hi, Cameron. <laughs> so, you know, speaking of how uh, COVID has influenced all of us, when we were beginning to talk about you being a guest on non-EPM Conversations, I looked you up on, actually, I don't think I did look you up. I think it showed up automatically in my LinkedIn feed. I think it was just coincidental. But you you wrote a, a post on LinkedIn about the great resignation. Um, and I found that very interesting. You know, in, in the in the article, you, you wrote, I've never done anything like this before. I've never written a post for LinkedIn. Uh, you're not a blogger, right? That's just not your, your thing. And yet you did it. Why? What, what compelled you to do it? I mean, I, I for the audience that can't see this, um, I, I literally have a printout of it in my hand on, on old-fashioned paper. It's five pages long. So a lot of thought went into this. I, I, again, you know, what made you do it? Why? Um, I think uh, I think you get to a, a, a point in your career and um, you're, you're asked, what's next? Um, because we're a lot of us developer type people or or builders of things are always looking for that and um and I started asking myself that and I'm like well is that is that um should I be looking for new jobs so my friends are getting new jobs and things like that and I'm like I maybe I should be looking at myself about about that. I also had, um, I've had to have these conversations now that I have a, a larger team. I'm having more of those conversations with my team on what, what their future is. Um, and I don't want to be afraid to say, I, I put you first. Yes, Kroger puts customers first, but I have an equal challenge to put my associates first. And that means I will always care about your career. I will care about your career if it's at Kroger. 
I will care about your career if it's not at Kroger. Um, and I started reading about the great resignation and some people trusted me enough to talk to me about what they were thinking. And um, I really appreciate that they did that. Um, but then it made me realize that maybe I have something to say because I have had several, you know, I did used to consult and, and have different jobs and move around. And then I haven't for a long time. And I don't think I'm, I'm looking for something else um, because I think I have it, but I wanted to understand why I think I have it and, um, and why I think other people are looking. And I wanted to write it down because I mostly was doing this for my team and the questions they were asking me. Uh, so I started putting down the reasons why I think people leave and why I've had people leave in the past. I, I haven't actually had a lot of turnover. Um, I've had a lot of positive turnover. So I lose people to the business all the time. <laughs> uh, but I don't I don't often use, lose people to um, to the to externally. And I started looking at the reasons people would tell me why they're struggling. And um, and I decided I would write something for myself to share with anyone who does come to me thinking they want another role um, by answering each of those for myself. Because I think I've made I've made choices about work for each one of these uh, reasons at one point at one point in time. And I think mine was always the one you called boredom. <laughs> right, that's my favorite one. I was absolutely <laughs> going to ask you about that. Um, and I, I just said, I just thought to myself, you know, I don't know if all leaders are, are like us, um, but a lot of the ones that I've enjoyed working for and would consider uh, working for again were the ones that would have been open to me saying, I'm considering something else and here's the reasons why and would be willing to work with me and action that uh, because they want to continue, they want to continue to work with me. And um, even the one I thought that I, I, I thought might be kind of difficult, the, the, the philosophy one where maybe your, your work is made political or perceived controversial decisions and you feel like your philosophies changed for, or diverted from theirs. Um, I think they would listen to someone internal and their question about the philosophy change more than they would someone external. So you leaving the company changes nothing in that company. And if you at some point felt some loyalty for that company, um, maybe you should give them the chance to address it. So if you see something, could it be just an anomaly? Could it be a different leader? Could it be something that you have a responsibility to stand up for? Did you see uh, 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 an inclusion issue or something that bothers you? I just feel like you have a responsibility to drive some of that change. And if you don't think we'll listen to you, I think then you are working at the wrong place. <laughs> yes, I will listen to you. But the boredom one, that's the one you want me to talk about? Yeah, so just, just for the audience, there were there are seven axes of, of consideration in a, why someone would leave a job or not. Money, location, money is easy to understand. 
location you come from New York City and you're living in, I don't know, name a place, Philadelphia, and you don't like Philadelphia, you might live in Philly for 20 years. Um, you don't like Philly, you want to go back to New York. I mean, that's that's an easy one. Work life, again, I mean, too much work, not enough life. That's an easy one to understand. Uh, the philosophy is different. That You touched on the culture issue as well. Um, there's always the life event, right? You know, children, elderly parents, divorce, marriage, all those kinds of things. Philosophy is interesting. Conflict and culture is interesting, but the mischievous in me wants to know about boredom. Talk to me about job boredom because, man, we've all had jobs where we just say, get me through this day, get me through this week, get me through the month. It's a horrible way to live. I mean, life is short. It is short. And, and did you sit there and say, you know, it's like watching paint dry when I, when I start up my computer in the morning. That's, that's not a good way to live. I don't think it's a good way to live. And there's there's parts of every job that aren't fun. Um, yes, otherwise it wouldn't be work, right? It wouldn't be work. Wouldn't yes, it would be like it would be like doing stuff for Casco and Frody Tug. Where's the money, right? You get paid in other things. That's yes, that's. <laughs> I agree. Well, and uh, yes, it's like I I tell my team I I I want you to enjoy working here and I want you to enjoy what you do. I get that you wouldn't show up every day if I didn't pay you, but I still want you to show up happy to be here. <laughs> So is, tell is me happy, how I can make that happen. Is happiness the, the opposite of boredom? Yes. <laughs> Maybe not. Oh, but, okay. Uh, that is probably another philosophical question. But, <laughs> but I, I, I feel like job satisfaction, and I look at personal responsibility around a lot of this. So... Um, if in the past I felt like uh, the the database, everything was all settled. We're not building anything shiny and new anymore. It's all uh, running fine, and and it's 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 great. Um, that's when I would be like, okay, what's next? You know. And instead of challenging myself to answer that, I would just start looking at what I called shiny new job descriptions. <laughs> so I'd be like, oh, what's that one do? And um, and now I think that's why I've been a little, I've been more successful staying and actually in my job is that I poke at what we currently have. Are we, are we serving our internal customers? Is there, is there a group that isn't using Dodeca? <laughs> What are they using? They're using? Some of them are using Power BI, right? So I'm poking around at that right now. But I think it's it's more about challenging yourself to, to find what keeps you interested. Um, I'll often tell my team, I'm like, we have a lot of work that that is that maybe isn't your favorite thing, but we have a lot of folks on this team. So let's spread out the work that is less fun or maintenance and make sure that you're always picking projects that are interesting to you. And if you, if it's not something that's necessarily in your wheelhouse, but you want to be trained on it, then let's have that conversation. Let's talk about what, which direction is fun. And then, and then as far as my own growth or my leadership team, I will give them 20% of their time to make something better. So go out there and, and 
every year you have to find two things that you enhance, you improve upon something we have and two things that you're going to build new, brand spanking new. And they may not work and they may not be any good, but um, a lot of times I get some really neat stuff out of that. And I challenge myself to do that as well. I want to, I need to build new things or explore new products or go to a conference and find some interesting idea and try to apply it to what I have. And I find that that, um, that usually is delivering something better for my customers. My boss is generally happy with getting new and improved um, databases or software products. And, um, and I'm happier. <laughs> so don't let other people dictate it to you. Maybe you have to work a little harder, but you'll enjoy working. You'll enjoy what you're doing. Maybe I didn't say it as eloquently as I was able to actually write it. That's what usually I'm worried about. Usually the written word is different, right? The, yes. the written word is in some respects. It is. Well, what has what the reaction to this been? The reaction I'm to sorry, the, art, the article, the, the LinkedIn article. We'll, we'll put the link, by the way, our, to the audience, the, the blog post <laughs> that introduced this. We'll have the link to the, the LinkedIn post. Well, a few of my longtime friends reached out to me, which was nice. Uh -huh. right? So, yeah, um, I I think I don't have a lot of followers because I don't publish anything. Um, so I think some folks knew that and and read it. I, I had some people reach out and and say um, really nice things about the article that they were thinking those things and uh, maybe that could help them with their with their team. Um, I, I considered public, you know, using it with my, my team at work. Um, but I mostly used it as a guide for me to talk to them. So I don't know that anyone is, I don't know that many people have seen it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Well, I got a lot of positive yeah, reviews. But. Natalie and I will share it out. Absolutely. We'll yeah, share it because it's a great yeah. article. Yep. And yeah. I think the, the, what, what struck me is, you know, the boredom thing and, you know, when you leave jobs, it's so it's very easy to think money, right? And so if you have a financial need where you need to better support your family, completely understand, right? But short of that, where you're going to be making life-changing decisions or life-changing money for your family, there's so much goodwill you build at the company you're currently at, right? And every time you jump, you have to build that back up. And so... I don't think people count that em enough when they're making their decisions. They don't. They don't. The relationships I, you built, the goodwill, like, you know, being able to say, you know what, I need to disappear for a couple of days because I have a family issue, right? It's, it's hard to feel comfortable doing that when you get to a new job because people don't know you or your work ethic, right? Yep. So I, I thought the article was really timely and poignant, um, especially in light of the great resignation, because I think it's almost like the cool thing to do. I'm leaving. I'm, I'm moving on, you know? I know. And I, I also struggle with, um, you know, I, I have to do succession planning for myself and yeah. I've got a, uh, a layer of a leadership team, but there's, there's a good chance that they're going to, they're, they're going to want to move into the organization um, and not wait for me. To retire, right? So I need to be looking two, 
two layers back for who's going to, who's going to do my job someday. And I can't just, I I can't, it's one thing to come in and know the EPM world. That's, that's fantastic. You can come in and make a big difference right away. Um, But you also have to know Kroger uh, a little bit. So being in a job for, for two years is just the point where you're set up to take on some leadership roles and some big impactful projects, you know, and, and some people are, are looking at and moving around it two to four years. And I have, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to fill a role right now. And uh, I could look at lots of experienced hires, um, but some of them are more advanced in their career. But what they don't understand is within two years, you know, you'll be in one of my senior leadership jobs if you just take, but you have to do so many laterals if you do, uh, if you leave every four years, because it, it's not just that I need someone that can understand space. I, I need that creative problem solving. I need the person who can visualize how all of the things come together and can then also talk to our customers about um, what they're, what problems are really trying to solve. What, what question are you trying to answer? Not what does your report need to look like? Because nobody wants them. No one wants to be told what the report, what I want on a report. I don't want to build that. I want to saw, I want to build you the tool that will replace seven of the reports on your desk, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And that helps you make the right business decisions for Kroger. It does. Yeah. And that's why I just, if, if someone is having a challenge in their life, I'd rather invest in them. Um, and and either it, if it's personal or professional, I'd rather step back and really talk to them about what, how to meet them in the middle. How do, that's what um, equity and inclusion, some of that means to me. Equity means that you bring, you might bring all of this brain power and experience at Kroger, and now you need a little bit from me. You need some some stock out of my emotional bank that you've already invested with me because you need some broader work-life balance because something's going on in your life. And I would rather have that conversation and give that to you and invest in that person than have them just leave and go look. And I wrote the article because maybe folks don't want to at least talk to their manager first. And that's really what it says in the article is ask them first. You're going to, you're going to leave them and never know. And it'll never matter again. But if you talk to them before you leave, you can leave that door open. You don't have to burn the bridge or maybe there is common ground, or maybe you could change the, the organization for your peers. You know, maybe you're the one sticking your neck out saying this work-life balance piece is not working for me and I need, I need more flexibility from you. So I, it's more of a retrospective saying, trust your manager first and look inside and maybe you don't need to resign. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway. Well, let's let's end on something that most of our <laughs> listeners and I don't really know how I know. Um, Him. <laughs> that's probably the reason why. Something that most of most people do not know about you. 
And that is your, your I don't even know if hobby is really quite the right word, your non-work passion. And that is, that is flying. Tell us, tell us what that means. You're not, a, you don't work for an airline, right? I mean, you work. I do not work, you know, it's a, um, I'm a private pilot. <laughs> private pilot. So what do you drive? What do I drive? It's called a Velocity. And is that a experimental plane? It is. It is an experimental four-seater. It's a pusher airplane. So the, uh, the, the engine's in the back. Right. Yes. Which everybody thinks is unusual, but if the very but the Wright brothers prop was in the back. So we started it all. Like pushers, <laughs> pushers are better than tractors. Anyway. So traditional swept, plane. Is it a swept wing plane or is it is it the does it look like a Piper cub with the engine plopped on top? Or what does it look like? <laughs> It is a little, it's, it's, it is uh, a modified swept wing. Um, it's got a canard on the front. So it's called a canard pusher, mm -hmm. but it's got a small wing on the front and a big wing in the middle and winglets that stick straight up. Uh, a lot of new airplanes, uh, even commercial planes have the winglets on the ends of the wing. So it's really unique looking and pretty. Uh, it's a show plane. So uh, we take it to air shows. Um and it's a lot of fun to fly. It's really fast. And how many knots? It can go 200 knots. Do you, do you, when you go on vacation, this is what's always fascinating to me about you know, having a private plane. So you could get in a car and drive for eight hours, or you could get on a, you know, a, a, an airline and suffer for two hours, or you could go in your own plane. Do you do that? Do you, do you say we're going to go? I don't even know. We're going to go to the lakes in Wisconsin or something like that because it's. it's <laughs> That's what we do. Yeah. We mostly that what you go do? Wisconsin. That was, that was yeah. just that up. And so do you fly and you park it at a local airport and rent a car and that's. Yeah. That's I, I would. It depends. It's, it's depends on, it depends on the use case, right? So if you absolutely positively have to be back for some work meeting on Monday, uh, you don't want to get stuck by weather. So you would fly commercial. Um, there's a tipping point for that. So we went to the Cotton Bowl and that's in uh, uh, Dallas. I'm in Ohio. And um, and we were looking at flying privately, right? Uh, but the weather was horrible. <laughs> it, was really, it was actually really bad. They were delaying our commercial flights. So, uh, so we ended up flying commercial, but it is fun to, to fly yourself. We also do something called the $100 hamburger with some other friends and it's just a, a funny way of saying we're just flying to um, someplace within a hundred miles and you go to a restaurant together. And it's really oh, just wow. to get out there flying. And there's also, you can play um, airport poker. So there's <laughs> like, like other things that other, other folks in the experimental aircraft, uh, we race, we race our planes, do fun stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's any different than if somebody had like, um, a fancy car that they would go to um, to the the local coffee shop every Saturday morning. I see like cars gathered yep. um, and people looking under their hoods and things like that. So people do that with um, with airplanes. And Elizabeth, ask Cameron if he would ever fly with you. Would you ever fly with me, Cameron? No. <laughs> I, I've been in small planes. I. I... <laughs> I flew with Tim. I flew with Tim Toe, and he thought I was crazy for flying with Tim. Really? General aviation, general aviation can be dangerous. 
anything can, well, crossing the street can be dangerous, right? But I don't, I, I believe in physics. It's not that I don't believe that airplanes can fly. It's just, I, 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 if, if I God had wanted right. man to fly, he would have given us wings. <laughs> but, but I, I love historical airplanes. I like watching piston engines, planes. I mean, to see, I've, I've seen a B-17 and a B-24 fly over me. Oh, I've seen yeah. P-51 oh, P-47 Thunderbolts. I've, I've seen all of that. It's great from Thank the you. ground. <laughs> you a, should go to, you should go to the Oshkosh Air Show. Yes, adventure. I have, it I have, is I have awesome. thought about that for many years. Yep. Yeah, I have been. I've gone for twenty straight years. So. Really? <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Did, did love, COVID close it down, or or because it was outside? It did close down COVID. It is kind. Of, it is. It is an older crowd. Yeah. Uh, it did close down for COVID, but just one year. So it's outdoors. So um, I think it'll it'll make its way back. Um, but yeah, I do. I love all the old airplanes too. You don't have to like to fly in them, Cameron. And I love to look at them and read about them. I I even have I have some control issues. I think we're all a little type A if we design databases and don't want other people to touch them. Um, but so I like yes. to be the pilot. <laughs> so it's a lot like having someone else do a dim build on your database. Like uh -huh. I don't want anyone to fly my plane. <laughs> so I don't blame you for not wanting to go up with someone. You don't, they don't, you don't want to fly their database. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Does your husband fly? Yes, he does. Um, and uh, and it, he does think it's a little funny that I want to be the the what we call pilot in command. <laughs> Somebody has to be. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I I'm and and he's an interesting character. I I, I hope you get to meet him someday. He's a um, he's cybersecurity for PNG, so he's um, even more crazy than we are, I think. <laughs> um, so, with that, let's let's end our episode, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for coming on and being our guest, Natalie. Thank you for being a co-host on this episode. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. All right. It was an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed Great. it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Until right. next time.